Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Matthew 28, 16. This is the reading of God's Word. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us your beloved church. God, we thank you for the call that you have placed upon every one of our lives, which is a great commission, which is a command that we have, you have given to us to receive and to go out into the world, God, and in turn make disciples of all nations. And God, for the next few weeks, we want to dedicate our time, us first being your disciples, us first adhering to the call of following you and following you faithfully. So God, today, would you empower us? Would you grant us the faith and the courage to follow you to the ends of the earth, Lord? And God, open up our ears, God. Grant us understanding so that we may not just hear your word, But, God, that you would empower us, that you would allow us to be doers of your word. We thank you, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And this is rather a familiar passage to you. This is a story that's very common to many Christians. And usually when a sermon is preached from this passage, every sermon of this passage usually starts at verse 18 which is the great commission, which is the great command, which are the last words which Jesus conveys to his disciples. It's a, it's a power, powerful commission and an endowment of this great mission and assignment for the disciples. But I really believe that what we need to look at is from verse 16. And I believe it's, it conveys to us something very important for all of us to catch and adhere to. Look at verse 16 with me. But the 11 disciples, but the 11 disciples, here Matthew could have said just disciples, or he could have just said the, uh, the disciples, implying all of the disciples, all of the followers of Jesus Christ. But here Matthew makes a distinction. He says 11 disciples. You see, there's a noticeable subtraction in that. Matthew wants us to know Uh, that there was one guy who did not make it. One who did not make it out of the original 12. There was one who masqueraded himself as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ. There was one guy out of the 12 who flirted with discipleship. There was one guy out of the 12 who, who looked apart, but really in his life, he did not portray the life of a true disciple. Even after for three and a half years of having been with Jesus, he was never really considered a disciple 
of Jesus. I think um, we often make the mistake of, you know, we just want to include Judas in that fold. We, so there, there's some Christians that, and preachers that will dismiss, you know what, he, he, he made that small mistake. You know, some, some even go on and debate about Judas's place in, even in heaven. But I think it's important for us to pay attention to what Matthew is saying, what Apostle John is saying, and also in the Gospel of John. If you read chapter 12 of Gospel of John, he, he refers Judas as a thief. So I think we, it's important for us to understand, I think Matthew is making a point that while there were 12, there's only really 11 that were committed to the true life of discipleship. You see, before we talk about the Great Commission, before we talk about missions, church planting, discipleship, influencing, impacting the world, and making disciples of all nations, whatever it is that we feel compelled that God has called us for, we have to first answer this question to ourselves. And the question is, are you a disciple? Are you a committed disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, it's possible for us to be in the proximity with the gospel, but it's also very possible for us to masquerade as a disciple, meaning for us to look the part but not really be committed to living a life of a disciple. It's so possible that we forget that our primary identity isn't a pastor, isn't a preacher or an evangelist or teacher. Our primary identity is not a church leader. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not a ministry team leader. It's not a small group leader. We forget often that our primary identity called by Christ is that we are to become followers. We are to become disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, these 11 disciples will very soon will become church leaders, church planters, again, missionaries, evangelists. They will become authors of the very important portions of the entire Bible. They will become visionaries. Some will call cultural architects, influencers in the world. But you know what? You know what preceded their lives as before they were evangelists, pastors, missionaries? They were first referred themselves as what? Disciples of Jesus Christ. For more than three years, they devoted their lives as followers of Jesus. Let me clarify and, and impart the knowledge of the Jewish understanding of a teacher and disciple relationship here. According to the rabbinic tradition, it was often, actually, uh, almost 100% of the time, uh, a desired student would seek after a teacher, seek out a rabbi which he, which he would choose to uh, groom under. Uh, he would kind of survey the land and he would uh, uh, bring himself under the leadership and the uh, authority of a rabbi. It's kind of interesting that Jesus is the one in the Gospels that he goes out and recruits the disciples, Right? So the disciple and student relationship is, is such that during the tutelage of, your, of the rabbi, which lasted anywhere from three years to six years, the, the student's job or the disciple's job was to not only learn literature and Torah, 
but also all the didactics, meaning not only learn the content of what the Torah conveyed to them, but their, their responsibility was to learn the ways the teacher, the ways the rabbi taught, and the ways the rabbi spoke and um, behaved and, and lived his life. So, so the disciples' role was to mimic in every way of the teacher which they submitted themselves under. Are you with me so far? Your primary role as a disciple is to mimic your teacher in every way, to imitate, to emulate, so that one day that you can replicate. That was the first and the primary call of every disciple in Jewish times. And here is no different. And Jesus is quite uh, cognizant of this fact and this truth. And he recognized the need for this to happen among all of 12 disciples as well. So the disciples of Jesus followed him everywhere. And this was completely intentional on Jesus' part. Because he personified his mission. He laid out his mission, his purpose, very clearly for them from early on. In fact, he was very explicit about the suffering and the tough road ahead of them. And he conveyed to all of his disciples. You see, Jesus was such that he was already following his own call for his life while he was calling the disciples to follow him. He invited the disciples to be like him while following him. Here he conveys the importance of becoming before being sent out. And I believe this is very important for you and I to understand. Before we want, we want to go out into the world, before we, before we commit to the task of making a difference, even before evangelizing, even before doing great works on behalf of the Lord or for the Lord, you and I are called to be intimately one with Jesus and being whole in Him. That you and I are first called to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? As many of you know that I gave my life to Jesus when I was just 17. I was in high school, and I was part of a youth, a youth group, which uh, we, at, that mo at that time, we, we were experiencing a great revival Meaning we would see like a conversions almost on a weekly basis. The word got out that God was doing an amazing thing in our youth group, in a small church, in a, in, in, in a no man's land, in the, in the heart of Whittier. Small church, rundown building. The word got out. I mean, uh, uh, young students began to just uh, uh, be gathered almost on a weekly basis. We gathered like Friday night, Sunday, oftentimes Saturday nights as well. And, and great things were happening, and, and every, almost every member of the church were so infueled, so impassioned by what God was uh, uh, giving to us. And that one of the most more popular things that were going on that day, we were so um, blessed. We, we, cannot, we, we, we did not know what to do with what God was doing in our own lives. I mean, God was really challenging us. We uh, heeded the call of, you know what, it's not enough so that we get blessed. Our lives get changed. Many of us sense the Lord was calling us uh, to make a difference in our respective schools. So 
uh, kind of this uh, grassroots movement started among our youth group members that our, our, we, we, we felt compelled to go to our uh, home schools and, and start Christian clubs for those Christian clubs, for those schools that did not have Christian gatherings. So a lot of us were kind of busy with the task. A lot of, a lot of us were just really uh, adhering to the call. If there was already a Christian club, our job was to get in more involved and to even uh, preach the gospel openly. I remember just uh, uh, one of my closest friends uh, just kind of like uh, uh, belabored the point that the Lord strongly impressed upon his heart that he was to go be in the middle of the quad area in his school and to openly preach and proclaim the gospel. So it was during that era. And during the, one of the worship services, one of the worship services, one of the students received the vision and he began to tell the vision which, he had, which God had given to him. And the vision was such that God was playing golf. God was teeing off multiple balls. And he was teeing off right at the center of our youth group, right from our church. And we thought, man, this is great. And the golf ball, God was teeing off and sending golf balls to different parts of the world. And when we heard the vision, when that person shared the vision, we were so excited we were like, yes, that's right. We're going to go out and change the world. We're going to go out and do missional work. We're going to evangelize. We're going to see the multitude being impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were so excited. And that, but the student went on to convey the full vision. He said, as he looked closer into the vision, while the golf balls were being sent out and God was teeing us off, he conveyed to us that, he noticed that every single ball that was being sent out, being hit off, was greatly cracked, were so damaged, were so flawed. And he paused, and God conveyed that night to all of us is that while we can go out, it, it, God was basically reminding us before we go out and evangelize, before we go out and do amazing works for the Lord, he reminded us that first our job was to sit inside the presence of God, for our job was to soak and be made whole as Christ continues to influence us, as, as, as we are committed to allowing Christ to continue to impact our lives first. You could imagine that we were somewhat disappointed it was as though someone had kind of put the uh, brakes on while we wanted to run, uh, uh, you know, very fast speed. But we also recognized the value of that reminder because that reminder was that we could not afford to neglect our call to first be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We could not, for whatever task that God has given to us, we ourselves cannot neglect the call of following Jesus faithfully. Rooftop, I want to ask you this question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you following Jesus today? Are you following Jesus today? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to become a disciple of Jesus? It means what? I just looked up the definition of the word follow. It says, you want to tail, to shadow, to monitor, to track. 
Meaning there's a sense of following closely. There's, all, uh, there's plenty of nuance where your job is to reflect and to mirror and to plenty of the nuance of becoming first. You see, our great mistake, our great folly is that we want to move on from this. We want to move on from the first the call of being a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes we have this uh, sense of entitlement. Well, treat me like a leader. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. I'm old enough. I've been Christian long enough. See me. We want to be seen as one who has authority, one who has creds to speak and lead. You know what? When it's our time and Christ comes back and he gathers us again, he will not judge us. He will not first ask us what we have done. He will not call us my good and faithful pastor, my good and faithful leader. You know what he will say? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, my slave, my disciple, my follower. Are you with me? Rooftop, how are you doing with discipleship? I'm not talking about discipling others. I'm not talking about impacting the lives of others. But first, how are you being, impacting, being impacted by Christ himself? If you and I want to faithfully heed the call of making a difference in the world, we must first concede our lives so that the influence and the impact of Christ is fully made, made fully evident in our own lives. So what did the disciples do? If we answer this question, we can better answer the question of who is a disciple. So let me point to you our, to our main passage for the day. Verse 16, the disciples went to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Verse 16, so the 11 disciples went to or proceeded to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Let me clarify what's going on here. You know that Jesus was crucified. By this time, Jesus died on the cross, and he was buried in a tomb. They, play, they placed a very large stone in front of the tomb so that no one may enter and remove the dead body. You see, the two followers of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and other Mary, went to the tomb of Jesus on the third day, on Sunday, perhaps to pay tribute, to still honor their dead teacher, their rabbi. When they went to the tomb, they noticed that the stone had been rolled away. And they were, uh, they were uh, completely shocked. They were frightened. There appeared to them an angel of God and conveyed these words. You know what? The Lord Jesus, he's not there. He has resurrected. And he, and he basically, the angel tells them to tell the disciples, to tell other disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. So these two ladies, in the fullness of fear and gladness and joy, they run towards the disciples. And on their way, now the ascended Christ, uh, resurrected Christ, greets them and tells them and reveals himself to them. There these two ladies worships him, worship him, and Jesus tells them again, go and tell the disciples and tell them to meet me here in the mountainside. 
So Jesus tells them where they should be, what they should do. And that's what's going on here. You see, the first step of being a disciple is that as long as we live on the side of heaven and living on earth, we will have some level of unbelief. But the first position, first task of a disciple is that we are to hear the word and we are to obey and fully submit to the word of Christ. You see, Jesus had told them what to do. The disciples, they heard the word of Christ, they trusted the word of Christ, and they obeyed the word of Christ. Are you with me here? A disciple is someone who hears the word, who trusts the word, and obeys the word of Christ. Meaning for the rest of your life, for the rest of our lives, that we are to never graduate from this task. We are to always be devoted for all of our lives for this, in that we are to hear the word of Christ, to we are to trust the word of Christ, and to we are to obey fully the word of Christ. What is the great temptation for us, though, this day and age? Well, let me uh, share my personal struggle in, in living out this particular command here. Even when I read the Word of God, when I meditate, when I read through the passages that are mentioned in the Bible, I am so tempted. My greatest struggle that I have to caution myself against is that I want to go from reading God's Word, I want to go from encountering God, and boom, immediately to proclaiming what the Word of God says. You see what I'm saying here? Oftentimes when I read and meditate, and, and, and I have to tell myself, oftentimes I have to put away my notebook and my pen because I approach God in a way that I, I, I get so uh, immersed in the task of preaching, teaching, right? And I don't allow myself, the Word of God, to first impact me and influence me in the way that God wants me to be impacted by the Word of Christ. Are you with me here? I think if we're not careful, we make the same mistake as living as disciples of Jesus. That when we hear the word of Christ, we want to go immediately proclaiming the word of Christ. But here, we hear the word of Christ. We submit ourselves. We trust the word of Christ. Then we obey the word of Christ. You see, In this way, this is the only way that we do not masquerade ourselves as disciples of Christ. Our greatest fear uh, should be this, is it not? That we look the part without actually being the part. Here Jesus is reminding us as he is speaking to us that our role, our job, our responsibility first is to obey, submit as we fully trust his word. Why? Because there was a promise, if you do this, that we will see Christ. You see, the goal of discipleship is not just to hear, trust, obey. It's so that we may one day, it's so that we may see the living word of Jesus Christ. Meaning when we read through the Bible, when we study to prepare sermons, when we serve the needy, when we preach the word, when we communicate The goal is to always see Christ. When you see Christ, 
you realize that you are made to love him. You are to commune with him. You are to pause and stop and fully be one and be intimately one with Jesus Christ. And it's out of that communion, the proclamation will come forth. It's out of that joy of being influenced, being poured into by Christ himself, you will reach the point where you can't help but to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So friends of Rooftop, I submit to you this important point. Allow Jesus to fully emanate in your life. Allow Jesus to first reveal himself as your Lord and Savior in your life. Amen? When we see Christ, we can't help but in, resp- in response to that, that we will worship. When we see Christ, we, we can't help but to proclaim Christ and share Christ. Amen. When we realize and experience the beauty and the value of who Jesus is, worship will automatically flow. No one has to twist your arm to sing songs to Jesus. No one has to twist your arms to go out and evangelize and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It will happen naturally. Hear the word of Christ. Trust the word of Christ and obey the word of Christ. I want to see not only myself, I want to see the entire church of Rooftop being so excited, carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. I wish to say one day that all of us has been so rocked by Jesus. All of our lives have been turned over to Jesus so radically that we become completely immersed to the mission that he shared with his own disciples, which is to go out, which is to make disciples of all nations. But again, I want to remind you, before the Great Commission, there was first the Great Submission. And I want you to fully submit ourselves, submit yourself to who Jesus is. For the next few weeks, that's exactly what we are going to do. We want to spend ample time We want to go all the different places where Jesus spent ample time in. We want to be with Jesus in the critical moments all throughout the Gospels so that we may fully pause and and, and receive from those moments. Allow Jesus to fully emanate of himself onto us. Even make stronger the imprints that he has made upon our hearts. Even so now, that his words will not just fall to the ground, but his words will be deeply engraved in our hearts and onto our lives. So today, I submit to you to the point that our cry to God today should be, before we are released by you, Jesus, will you first meet with us? God, before you commission us, 
God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that we do not hurry the process of discipleship. God, we do not neglect the call of following you closely, intimately walking with you at every day, at every moment of our lives. Rooftop Church, will you pray that with me today? Will you make that your desire today? Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I have asked of you, Lord, one thing that I have sought after you, is that, that I may dwell in your house in all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his holy temple. May that be your desire. May that be my cry and my prayer unto the Lord, that we would be so in tune with Jesus, that we would fall in love of following Jesus. Amen. Before we commit, before we pledge our allegiance to him, before we first, uh, uh, we must first be revealed of who he truly is. Understand that revelation precedes discipleship. Our prayer is that we seek him, we dwell in him, we gaze upon his beauty, and in turn, that he will ready us. He will tee us off. He will commission us and send us into different parts of the world, boldly proclaiming the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Church, will you bow your heads with me in prayer and pray today with me. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to be one with you. God, if for whatever reasons that we have lived our lives masquerading as disciples, we have neglected the part of hearing your word, trusting your word, and obeying your word. God, today is the day that we submit ourselves to that. So God, would you speak to us? Would you release upon us your word? And for the next few weeks, we do not want to rush. We do not want to hurry. God, we want to fully commune with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As announced earlier, today is communion day. So Jesus did something very special. The very last moments he spent with the 12 disciples, Jesus wanted to remind them that though he wasn't going to be with them anymore, there was a way that he could always be remembered by them. So Jesus gathered them around. He first washed their feet, displaying his great act of service to them. He demonstrated to them how they should treat one another. Afterwards, he shared a meal 
And he says something that he had never said before. As he was sharing, breaking off the pieces of bread and distributing to them, he said, this is my body. I'm sharing them with you. And he would pour wine into different glasses and distributing it to the disciples. And he tells them, this is my blood. And that was a powerful reminder and a promise to them that Jesus was always going to be with them. And today, we do the same. We remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is always, always with us. And before we attend to the task of evangelizing, before we commit ourselves to world missions and radically changing the world on behalf of Christ, we simply pause we sit in his presence we partake in his body and his blood in that we believe that there is powerful union this is why we call communion we want to see be one a perfect union with Christ so again if you're not ready go get that piece of bread go get a drink as we partake in this Lord's communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promise of always being with us. God, we believe and what you have done on the cross for us. God, we believe in the promise that our sins are forever forgiven and that we are made right with our Heavenly Father, all because of you. So God, through partaking in this bread and the wine, God, we confess our love for you. God, would you just be upon every person joining in in this service.